Specialty Story, session number 71. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you will want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Now, welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. If this is your first time joining us here today, thank you for taking the time to listen to a great guest who's going to talk about pediatric cardiology. If you've listened before, thank you for coming back. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, your families, your advisors, whoever it may be. If you're in medical school and you have a Facebook group, go send this out to your Facebook group. Let them know that Specialty Stories is here for them to listen to. Now, as I mentioned this week, I have a great guest, a pediatric cardiologist, Serena Saw, has been out of practice now or been out of training now for three years and is in an academic setting. We start the conversation by hearing how Serena first got involved and first became interested in pediatric cardiology. A little bit of background. I wanted to be a physician, went into medical school, and I enjoyed working with kids. And it was kind of a recent interest just before medical school that I thought, okay, I I liked working with kids. So I knew I wanted to go into pediatrics. And um, during my third year, my pediatrics rotation, uh, which I knew this was going to be the rotation that I would, you know, enjoy and try to, you know, do as much as possible because that was going to be my um, specialty. Um, I had a um, cardiac patient, actually, who's a little six-month-old who had the diagnosis of tetralogy of flow. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a super interesting physiology because here he is, he's actually, he has what we call a BT shunt and he was saturating in the seventies, which is normal for him. Explain saturating. Oh, saturating. Oh yeah. So his oxygen content or oxygen um, level basically Mm -hmm. in the blood was in the seventies, whereas normally it should be 95 to a hundred percent. So I, I was knowing nothing about, you know, cardiac disease and whatnot, I, I was looking at this kid and I was like freaking out. I was like, how can he, cause we, we see a lot of bronchiolitis patients and saturating in the seventies is not normal, but he's just sitting around bouncing. And I ran out to try to grab the senior resident. And I was like, what's going on? This is not normal. And it turned out that that was this physiology that he, he lives with until he obviously later on has a corrective surgery. So, um, that, particular encounter with that patient got me really interested. I was very intrigued by the, 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 the physiology of it. And I started looking more into cardiology and uh, pathophysiology made sense to me. Like it was easy to understand. I, I liked being able to figure out, you know, um, being able to figure out this causes that. And, um, there, it in a sense, I felt it was it was it made sense that the, the connections in my brain made sense in the sense of the cardiology world, or how cardiology um, the I guess the diseases made sense to me, or how to fix it made sense to me, and um, so that's how I got interested. Did you have that same sort of 
of passion is probably the wrong word, but the same sort of Mm. intrigue when you were going through med school, learning the cardiovascular system? No, because I think the majority of the, what we learned about cardiology was more probably adult based. We had some exposure to congenital heart disease, but probably just like when some of the medical students who are hearing this, when you heard, learn about the, the five T's and the H that are cyanotic heart diseases. So we memorize it, but I think we kind of know what it is and we, we learn it, but we don't go much in depth into it. And a lot of the cardiology that I remember from sitting in lecture um, in the first couple of years was more adult perspective. So I didn't really in particular, you know, think much of it. I just kind of was focused on I knew I probably wanted to do pediatrics, but didn't really think what specialty, if I wanted to go into a specialty or not. So as you were going through your your pediatric residency, did you ever think about being a general pediatrician or were there any other subspecialties that kind of piqued your interest? Yes. Um, I think I started off thinking that I would do general pediatrics. And, um, but as we, cause we do, we have our own resident clinics and we see patients and there's so much to learn about every different specialty. So I think I started to, since, since in medical school, I had a, um, I had an interest in cardiology. I kind of went in thinking that I would explore that without excluding general practice as a uh, consideration. Um, But I kind of went in with the mindset that I would consider cardiology. Um, But as, and as time went along, I, you know, as, as a general, I I think I kudos to all the general pediatricians or the general practitioners out there, because you have to know a lot of stuff about a lot of different things. Um, And then I felt like I, 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 I needed to be comfortable and know one thing really well. So, um, um, so I, I, I thought about it and then there was, I had a rough time to be completely honest. Like intern year was rough. Uh, training was rough. And I, one of the things that I thought to myself was maybe I, I, I don't want to do any more training. I'll just finish my general pediatrics training and not go any further and practice general pediatrics. Um, but then I did a rotation in cardiology and, um, the interest was re-peaked, I guess, is so to speak. So, um, so I was considering that. And the other thing I thought about was neonatology uh, or NICU uh, because it was um, um, it was a specialty that um, I think had some intensive care to it. And then I was considering between the two of them, and then realized that. The babies in the NICU that I was more interested in were the cardiac patients. So I think it, that helped me narrow down what I wanted to do. What traits do you think lead to being a good pediatric cardiologist? I think, obviously, you, you would want to enjoy working with kids and being around kids a lot. I think one other thing that is, you know, knowing, I guess, feeling like understanding the pathophysiology is interesting to you and trying to figure it out. And probably one other thing is um, some of these kids could get pretty sick. So feeling, just having a sense of, I think, calm under stressful situations. And I'm not there yet. <laughs> you know, obviously I, I, I still get, you know, nervous and stressed out about certain patient situations. But I think in general, 
you have to be able to know and see that you'll see kids of all different spectrums of severity of illness, whether it's minor heart disease versus more severe heart disease. That because we interact with the ICU doctor, or we have kids in the ICU and um, in the surgical suite, obviously who undergo heart surgery. So they um, has to feel comfortable in that environment. Describe what sorts of diseases, pathologies, what's, what type of patients you're treating on a, on a daily basis? So I do a lot of outpatient clinics, and that is um, probably not what you're thinking about in terms of like cyanotic heart disease, sick patients who need neonatal surgery and whatnot. Um, the, a lot of the patients, I would say, that get referred into our clinic would be you know, teenagers with chest pain or, uh, you know, people who have had, you know, fainting spells and who are trying to roll out cardiac or arrhythmia or arrhythmogenic diseases. Um, and some of the more straightforward or, or minor heart diseases like ventricular septal defects, atrial septal defects, um, pulmonary valve stenosis or somewhat minor heart disease that can be just followed as a malpatient. And I would say probably... You know, 50 to 70 percent of them. Well, it, it's also for me because I'm a more sort of a junior person in the field. So some of the patients I see uh, haven't accumulated that many complicated or complex patients. Um, but a, a portion of um, my practice will also have patients who have had neonatal surgery or are waiting for more infant surgery or patients who have had what we call single ventricle palliation or you know, um, everybody, a, a normal, a normal heart should have two good atrium or two good upper chambers or two good lower pumping chambers called the ventricles. And they, um, they are born with just a, a big, a, a single ventricle or a uni, univentricle. Um, so some of them have to undergo a series of operations and, um, and you follow them lifelong. So a portion of my patient population is like that. But, um, I would say, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a good mixture of people who have cardiac, what seem like cardiac, potentially cardiac related symptoms uh, that just get screened uh, through our clinic, or a lot of them. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention a big population of just patients with heart murmurs that uh, come in through to rule out congenital heart disease, and then some of them are patients we've diagnosed as in the neonatal period, and I just kind of follow them through. What percentage of patients who you're seeing in the clinic are already diagnosed with something you're just following up, or are you actually diagnosing in the clinic? Um, I would say that's a very good question. I think off the top of my head, probably um, probably a quarter to a third maybe come in already with a diagnosis. I'm just following them up, or I've met them before in the hospital before they were discharged. Um, so probably a quarter, I would say, and then maybe the next 50% are, a quarter to 50% are um, people that come in with symptoms or heart murmurs that we then diagnose with something, and then the rest are um, probably also 25 to 50% are that come through being screened and then, but then just get discharged without any cardiac diagnosis. Like ruling out, you know, any sort of cardiac cause of what they came in for. Describe a typical week. I work in an academic institution with a large group of cardiologists or pediatric cardiologists. So we do a rotation of, uh, 
I think the majority of the time I'm outpatient and we do a rotation of inpatient service, which is um, just a week at a time. And that happens less frequently. So most of the time I'm outpatient and um, I see my typical week is probably one to two days of clinic and outpatient clinic. And and then I read echocardiograms or ultrasounds of the heart, uh, probably two two to two and a half days of those uh, of the week, and then we have a couple of half day sessions of administrative time or research time to um, to pursue these other things. What was your decision for going into academics? versus going out to the community? Um, it was probably a little bit of convenience, I would say. <laughs> um, I think I felt like I could go either way. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy work, obviously, through fellowship. I enjoy teaching some of the more junior trainees. And I, um, at the time, was looking for, when I was graduating from fellowship, was looking for a job. And I looked both. I looked at both. Um, academic places where there are trainees and or just private practice and it just worked out that I um, uh, stayed in my home institution there was a position that opened up and I uh, was able to stay so um, and it worked out from the location that I needed to be at with just my personal life situation so that was uh, it was not necessarily uh, the only thing I was looking at but it uh, ended up being where I was at. For somebody who enjoys working with their hands and doing procedures, is there the opportunity to do procedures as a pediatric cardiologist? Absolutely. I think one of the specialties within pediatrics that cardiology is one of them that, you know, it provides, it's a medical specialty, but provides a way for you to do hands-on things. Um, you can, just like in adult cardiology, we have a subspecialty in catheterization. So um, people can go into catheterization and do interventional cardiology and work with their hands and, and do caths and put in you know, heart stents. And during training, uh, you get to work in ICU, so you can do a lot of procedures that way as well. And you can also go into cardiac ICU as a subspecialty, um, which is a, th a third level of training, I, I guess. Uh, and then you can, um, then you'd get to do a lot of procedures and putting lines in and whatnot, uh, much like, and I guess doing ultrasounds or echocardiograms, that's more just the handsome imaging part, but you don't necessarily do anything invasive, but those are two subspecialties, I would say within pediatric cardiology, where you get to work with your hands a lot. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital? I wish I had more, <laughs> I would say. My position is somewhat demanding from a clinical standpoint, so we there is a lot of clinical work. I think being in a larger group, the call schedule is more spread out, so I am not on call as often if, versus if I were in a smaller private practice group. I think the logistics of being in the private practice, I have a lot of people that I know are in private practice, but I don't. It, it it's hard to, I guess exactly know their experience being on call at night and on the weekends and whatnot until you go through it. Um, but I think there is, uh, because I am a part of a larger pool of, you know, physicians, it is, it is less demanding compared to others in terms of the call schedule. Um, but I think still having, having to be on call, you still always wish you 
have more time for family and just things outside of work. <laughs> what does call look like for you? Or do you have to go into the hospital or is it just home call? Yeah, it is home call for us. If it is just like during night call, it's home call. We do have fellows that take first call. So usually they f- screen the phone calls or the calls from other, you know, from the ER or within the hospital and then just uh, escalate to us if they have a question about something. So uh, rarely do we have to go into the hospital when we are at home at night. Uh, but during, if we're on ser- what we call service, which is we're rounding inpatient, then we would go in during the, like we're rounding during the week, and then we also cover the weekend. So we would go into the hospital to round and then be there if there's emergency situations. And then the night will be just the fellows. Actually, um, our particular fellowship program also, um, the fellows also take home call. So they they go in if they need to. But generally at night, we if the fellows have a cover, unless they needed us for something, we, can, we generally don't have to go in. But we may take a lot of phone calls just mm. based on what's going on. Yeah. What does the training path look like to become a pediatric cardiologist? After four years of medical school, uh, you match into residency for pediatrics. And then um, the application cycle actually changed a little bit since I applied. Uh, it used to be that after you get into residency, you have to like pretty much know, unless you wanted to take a break in between uh, or take a, take a, uh, not going back, go, not go directly into cardiology training right after but usually what you would do is like your first year you pretty much have to know by the end of your intern year because you have to apply in your second year and because the match is uh for cardiology was um at the end of the second year so then you would know where you're going by the end of your third year when you graduate from residency Um, but i think they just changed the fellowship application cycle you apply your second year and then a match in the fall of your third year versus like applying in the summer between your intern and second year and then matching like early, I think it's early spring. So there's an extra kind of half a year built in there. Um, so you would apply, I think right now you would apply in your second year residency into cardiology uh, and then match in the fall of third year and then start if you want to go straight through to cardiology. And how long is that fellowship? Uh, three years. Oh, so I'm, I'm sorry. So three. pediatrics is three years. Mm-hmm. And uh, cardiology is also three years. If you want to do subspecialty within cardiology, and the trend is to, if you don't want to just be a general cardiologist, uh, the trend is actually to have another extra year or maybe two of training, uh, generally a year. And then there's five, six different subspecialties actually within cardiology. There is a heart failure transplant. There is more and more what we call imaging, where people learn about fetal cardiology and or do MRIs, cardiac MRIs. Mm-hmm. Um, there is electrophysiology. That's another one. Catheterization, like I mentioned, um, and then ICU. Um, and then some people are also doing a fellow, a fourth year in pulmonary hypertension, for example. So that makes it six, I want to say. And I think, oh, and some people have done preventive cardiology since we have more sort of, unfortunately, growing obesity in the in the younger population. So um, I have a coworker who did a fourth year training in um, preventive cardiology. So that makes it seven. And then, I know you didn't think like a th- there would be a third level yeah. of training, but um, there's seven, I think seven, seven or eight. Some people can do genetic, like cardiac genetics. That's wow. another thing. 
So it's there's seven or eight different subspecialties that you could potentially train for as an extra year of training if there's something specific within cardiology that you want to do. Never. Um, I think it used to be. Yeah, yeah. I think it used to be. It, we're just becoming more and more specialized because it's there's so much information and so much you need to know for that for something in particular. Mm -hmm. So I think it used to be people were kind of jack of all trades and did everything. But as more technology develops, as more information, medical information comes through and more research needs and time needs to spend into each individual field, these subspecialties have kind of sprung up so that people can really, you know, become experts in that area and do it that really well. Mm -hmm. How competitive is matching into pediatric cardiology? From what I've heard, because just, you know, as I was applying it, it was just a, a, so sort of a word of mouth um, reputation, I guess. I think some of the more cardiology, neonatology, and um, critical care or PICU are probably the mm, three of the more competitive ones within pediatrics to match into just because there's not a lot of spots versus, or just, I guess, uh, there's a lot of people who want to go into it. Mm -hmm. So I think probably cardiology is one of those three more competitive ones. Um, I think all specialties, because a lot of people want to specialize now, all are pretty competitive. So I don't know how it ranks really amongst all oh, the competitions. And I think it's hard to say, right? Because you just survey and it's people's opinions. Um, but I guess if you look at maybe, maybe there was some data somewhere with the ratio of applicants versus uh, um, available spots, it's, it's a little bit more, um, it's a little bit more difficult to just because there are less spots for the number of people that want to go into it. Yeah. Do you see any negative bias towards DOs in the field? I don't think there's anything negative. Um, I would say I actually don't. I'm trying to think of if there's any DOs I know of that are cardio pediatric cardiologists. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but I do know I have a lot of friends who are DOs in neonatology, which we work really closely with. Mm. Um, so I don't think there is necessarily um I haven't actually sat on a, um, and the people that we interview, I haven't, I don't, I don't recall um, having someone who has a DO degree, okay. but I don't know, but I also was in the first line screener, so I don't know if they got screened out, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. So I, I personally don't have any negative bias, um, I think, but I'm not, I can't really accurately say answer that for the rest of the field i okay. guess i should say yeah yeah but i guess it is i guess it's a, it's a little bit of a um uh it's a little bit of a uh um how should i put this um it's a little telling right <laughs> if i don't know of any deals that are in cardiology potentially yeah 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 i i don't know if it's just i i don't know i don't know if that's a it's a that's a it's a true you know it reveals something about the field, but uh. all right. What do you wish primary care, the the pediatricians, the general pediatricians? What do you wish they knew about what you're doing day in and day out to help their patients better and help you provide better care to your patients? Yeah, um, I think I I feel for the pediatricians because they see a lot of patients and they have to in that short amount of time. Um, 
be able to say, okay, you need to see a specialist versus I'm comfortable with this being a non-cardiac issue. So I, I think, um, I think sometimes when we'll see referrals from pediatricians and, 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 and think, oh, if this person has thought about X, Y, and Z, maybe they didn't need a specialty visit or something like that. But I think it's a difficult, I think just in the climate of our, of our medical care, it's, it's, it's in, incredibly difficult to, to be able to, in that short amount of time that they're given to be able to say yes or no. I think, uh, I am impressed, uh, when there are times when pediatricians have gone through a very thoughtful process of what I go through when I see a patient from a cardiac standpoint. Um, so I think they, um, they, they, to rule out certain things that if they still, there's something that they feel uncomfortable with and they send to us, um, they, I, I feel really confident about, you know, the thought process that they've gone through. So I think when I see that, it's, it's very, very, um, it's, it's, uh, it's very encouraging. And I also feel like they, the families have been prepared a little bit to, to not expect me to tell, uh, to, to have a little bit of, um, understanding of what they would expect when they come and see a specialist. I guess my answer would be, uh, I think it's unfortunately the reality of medicine these days that it, there's not inf- sufficient time to necessarily go through the whole exercise of before sending to a specialist. But I think if they did have the time and, um, and, and, you know, um, to, to, to go through that process, it's really helpful to, to kind of tease out the families that, or the patients that, um, may truly have some cardiac concern versus not, but you know, I, we don't mind. We don't mind seeing. Um, I think that's what the specialists are for. We don't mind um, seeing patients that need to be uh, that need to be seen, obviously, or help help the general practitioners out by figuring out who needs who needs further care and whatnot. Um, um, but but I will say, yeah, I am impressed when there are times when when patients come through with a referral and a very detailed note about what <laughs> what the pediatrician thought. Mm. What other specialties do you work the closest with? Um, I think I alluded to this a little bit before. Um, I would say the ICU people, so like neonatology, um, because a lot of congenital heart disease, um, there's a, um, in California, it, um, in 2013, there was a law that was passed to do, um, I think this had happened in other states already too, but, um, um, about five, six years ago, that they would screen their oxygen saturations in the blood um, before they get discharged. So that started picking up a lot of um, congenital heart disease, mm-hmm. especially more critical congenital heart disease. Um, so we work with the neonatologists a lot just because uh, more and more of these babies are being um, picked up by uh, at birth. Uh, and then we also work uh, closely with a pediatric ICU um, and I think it used to be we work a lot more with the pediatric ICU kids, um, but with the advent of um, the cardiac ICU becoming a specific ICU um, location and team, uh, we then more work with just the ICU team. Um, other specialties uh, besides general pediatrics, I would say um, probably some hematology oncologists because there's also oncology patients that uh, or some of the a lot of the patients that we see, uh, not necessarily in our clinic, but that get ultrasounds, um, are oncology patients because they get chemotherapy and that could have cardio cardiotoxic effects. 
um, so we communicate with them as well. Um, and uh, I think those are probably the most common subspecialties. Nephrology, I think nephrology sometimes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've just thought of two other. So um, nephrology, because um, it's kind of a cardiorenal connection there. And then liver bec- and the hepatologist or GI doctors, because they, um, um, some of some of my colleagues who work specifically with what I mentioned before, the single ventricle patients, um, the heart um, is, liver is like, we, we joke about liver being the next most important organ that we care about as cardiologists mm-hmm. because it's connected to the heart and it tells a lot about how the heart is working. So, um, so probably it's GI doctors as well, specifically hepatologists, mm-hmm. uh, surgeons, like the, the pediatric cardiac surgeons are the closest ones that we work with because they're the hands to our, you know, to, to, to fix, you know, whatever we find. So are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for peds cards? I don't personally do this yet, but I know of several pediatric cardiologists and um, and ancillary staff who have gone on medical mission trips um, to kind of use what they do in the field just to be able to help uh, people in other places or countries and whatnot. Um, I we also have people who work with you know like NIH or um, or uh, are developing technologies or devices that um, that will help um, patients within our field. Um, so that is kind of the, I guess, the industry potential connection there. Um, research, obviously, is one one thing, and genetics is becoming a big, um, big uh, field uh, that people are interested in um, that relates to both bench research and also um, genetics, um, genetics research. So those are, and you're talking about more just medical things outside of pediatrics? Even, even non-medical, non-clinical. Even non-medical yeah. things, non-clinical things. Probably teach, uh, teaching in a sense, um, teaching, since being at an academic institution, you have, you know, junior trainees that you teach uh, about cardiology um, and or, you know, symposiums or lectures that you can give. Um, and um, um, I would say my job is much more clinical. So that's kind of most of what I know. Um, but I think a lot of other people do a lot of different things. There's people who go into sort of artificial intelligence, AI type of technology that incorporates, you know, cardiac information or um, to help, you know, patients in general. So, What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into pediatric cardiology? I feel like for me, I am a little bit of a, I always go through kind of an internal struggle. I have a kind of a conflicting view of things that at the same time, I love the action of sort of intensive care. I also dread it at the same time because it's obviously a stressful situation and, you know, patients could have various outcomes. So I like love it and like dread it at the same time, uh, which is kind of a kind of interesting. I think for, for me personally, I think I, um, there are people that I know that love the intensive care and obviously our ICU, cardiac ICU uh, physicians, but I do um, find myself kind of 
gravitating more towards some of the outpatient stuff where I can be sort of involved in the action, but not as directly. Um, although when we do inpatient service and rotations, it's, um, it's, um, it's inevitable that it's, it's what we deal with every day. Um, I think I wish I knew more about call in general. Um, I think as a medical student, you, you do call, but you're not kind of the first line responsible, the first line person responsible. So, um, but when, as you go through training, like in residency and fellowship, call can be pretty rough. Uh, it's much better as an attending, but still there's, I, I think, um, maybe just as I'm entering a different life stage, I'm, you know, wishing for more time outside of medicine and not be on call and whatnot. So that's probably one thing that I think is, um, is, uh, I'm shifting my perspective, um, what do you like the most about being a pediatric cardiologist? Um, I like the most about the like thinking through the heart diseases and diagnosing it and being able to help um, tell the family that and educating them about it. I think the educational part of it is really um, uh, fascinating and rewarding for me to kind of show them this is what we know about your child's heart. And this is what we're going to do about it. And sometimes there's, sometimes if there's nothing that we can do about it, but just watch and wait and whatnot, it, it's not as satisfying. But I think the part, you know, being able to work with the families to, um, you know, with my, with what I know and my, what I've learned in my training to be able to work with them, to tell them what they, um, what their child is going through and ha or has, and um, helping them through that process, I think, is very rewarding for me. What do you like the least? The least is probably when there's a, you know, um, patients who have really complex heart disease that we are stumped or have, um, or or who we're trying to help through, but it's either a difficult case or um, sometimes if there's nothing great that we can do that can offer them to figure out what's the best thing for do to do for their heart disease if there's kind of a, a situation where we're unable to provide you know a good solution for whatever their heart condition is those are really tough because it's it's difficult to think about you're trying to like work through what could possibly happen and i think the one part is also when you have a more sick patient who you're you're waiting to do something um but just that i i i get nervous obviously <laughs> of um of of what could happen and you're always you feel responsible even though you're not you know mm. um even though you may not necessarily directly be um if something if not a good outcome you know, if the outcome isn't good or whatnot. So I think that part is tough uh, when we have a, uh, when the outcome doesn't turn out how we hope as a medical team for the family or whatnot. I think that part's the, the least favorite part. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of pediatric cardiology that students should be aware of? There's a lot of new technology that is being developed 
within interventional cardiology and just in terms of imaging and we're working a lot with 3D stuff, whether it's 3D printing or 3D reconstruction of different types of imaging modalities. So I think having that, and I know some of my colleagues also work very closely with bioengineers and um, biotechnical sort of uh, experts in those fields. So I think um, for, if you're thinking about going to medical school, you know, having that background, uh, I think helps. If you're already in medical school, just being aware of kind of all the technologies that are upcoming that are potential uh, things uh, or potential, um, I think, things to, to explore when you go into the field. Uh, there's always going to be kind of the foundation basics of ultrasound and CTs and imaging, um, kind of basic fluoroscopy and things like that. But there's a lot of emerging technology that will um, that will come into play uh, very um, prominently in the field. I think as long as with other fields as well. But I think this is at least this is what I know um, that um, and genetics also. So like, pay attention <laughs> to mm. those things. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a pediatric cardiologist? I think I always say in my other life, I probably, uh, I enjoy and I love medicine and the intellectual stimulus of it. Um, but I, so if I were to go into medicine, I would do this over again. I would do, I would be in pediatric cardiology. If I didn't go into medicine, then that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> what would you be? Um, I really like visual imaging stuff so probably some type of graphics design or some kind of des design related okay. design related field yeah cool um which is why i i'm more of a i'm an imager in terms of um i um i focus on like echocardiography and 3d i'm going into more in depth into 3d echo so i like visual and imaging things yeah any last words of wisdom for the med student out there or even the, maybe the pediatric resident who thinks they may be interested in cardiology at this point? I think uh, be persistent and cardiology training is difficult uh, no matter where you go just because I think any fellowship will be tough. But uh, persevere and be, you know, maintain your motivation and persistence and um with an attitude of, you know, I want to learn everything as much as possible within your training time. Um, it's a great field. It's a very, very interesting field. It's a very fulfilling and rewarding field. So I think, you know, the, uh, I think the process is long in terms of going through the applications and trainings and whatnot. But I think there's a lot of rewards that come out um, at the other end. Uh, so good luck. All right, so there you have it. Again, Dr. Serena Saw, pediatric cardiologist and academic pediatric cardiologist, talking all about her specialty. If you're interested in cardiology, if you're interested in pediatric cardiology, hopefully this was helpful for you. If you have connections to guests who you want to be on the podcast, people who you think will be great guests, let me know, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories.